in our fear of losing religious liberty and our fear of losing our morality, we have opted for the tools of the kingdoms of this world to somehow further the purposes of God. It never, ever works. You get the worst of both. You don't get the best of either. You're listening to the Provoke and Inspire podcast. Welcome to the Provoke and Inspire podcast, learning to follow Jesus in a post-Christian culture. My name is Ben Pierce. I am the host of the show, and joining me today is my brother over there, or left if you're watching, uh, Aaron Pierce. What's up, man? Hey, Ben. It's good to be here. Normally, we have our father with us, David, and or uh, our European director, Luke Greenwood, and a friend of ours in Nashville, Chad Johnson, but they're off. We saved the best interviews for just Aaron and I. Uh, you know, it's mostly just a trust issue, uh, but we'll get to that in a bit. We are very excited about our show today. Normally, we don't have our guests already on the screen, so this makes it a little bit awkward for Andy, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, we will be talking with Andy Stanley. He is a communicator, an author, a pastor. He founded Atlanta-based North Point Ministries in 1995. Uh, today, MPM consists of eight churches in the Atlanta area and a network of 180 churches around the globe that collectively serve over 200,000 people weekly. Uh, God has used him powerfully throughout the world, but really also in my life, which makes this a unique privilege for me. And we're going to be talking about his forthcoming book, Not In It to Win It, Why Choosing Sides Sidelines the Church, which comes out on May 10th. We'll talk about how you can pre-order that. Um, but this book is is not only timely now, but with, you know, if you're here in the U.S., we're going to have these crazy midterms coming up. Pretty soon we're going to have the full election coming up, and I have a suspicion it's going to be a contentious one. And so we really need to get our heads on straight about how we should view politics, how we should do politics, uh, and really, maybe most importantly, how we can actually look to Jesus and follow his example as it relates to changing the world. So I'm going to really looking forward to this conversation. So without any further detail from me, Pastor Andy Stanley, thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, thanks for the opportunity to talk about something that's both important and I love talking about. And it's and it's nice to meet you guys, honestly. This is going to be fun. Yeah. yeah, no, it is. And and Aaron and I were talking about this before. Politics is one of those weird things where I think it's a subject definitely for inside of the church, but our passion in Steiger is to reach those outside of it. And so we've got to get this right because it's not just a matter of getting out of politics. It's about a matter of knowing how to speak into it like Jesus would. So I'm excited to get into that. But before I jump ahead too much, what I want to talk about first here is just that the idea of why it's so hard for us to get this right. You know, to me, when I, when I look at your book and, and when I read scripture, I, I see a very vivid model that Jesus lays out for us in terms of how to engage with the world, uh, how to treat people. His, you know, even today I was reading in John just about the way he does everything different. He subverts the entire system in a way that nobody really even got it while it was happening. Yep. Uh, and yet, as we read this, and it seems so obvious it's not. It wasn't for the people then, for his closest followers, and it continues to confound people you know, of faith today. And my question for you is, why are we so drawn to the tools and machinery of the world, as you say, rather than just the very plain example of Jesus as laid out in Scripture? Why does this seem to be so hard for us to get right? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And what's so important about the question is, the question is the answer. We know the right thing to do. I mean, just read 
part of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Just look at all the Apostle Paul's one another, one another, one another, one another, and it leaves no room for demonizing entire people groups. It leaves Mm -hmm. no room for, you know, turning social media criticism into a virtue and a spiritual discipline. I mean, there's, it's, it's appalling. Even if we fall short, at least our conscience should just be ding, 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 consciously. I mean, you know, you know, all the time when we see this sort of thing or when we're tempted to enter in. So the it's, 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 it's as if, and I think this is what you're asking, it's as if the tension in all of that has gone away, that somehow when it comes to politics or saving America or maintaining our religious liberty, all of these things that are valid concerns and super important, it seems that for some reason when Christians enter into that realm, the gloves come off, the Holy Spirit comes off, um, being a gentleman goes away, being polite goes away because we are fighting the good fight and we have to win, win, win. And I grew up through the moral majority days as a teenager. I've had a front row seat because of my father to some of the, you know, some of these things in the old days. And a year ago, this past spring, you know, coming out of January, you know, 2021, I just thought I, <laughs> I have to say something, even if it gets me in trouble. So that's mm. it, the question you just ask is really why I wrote the book kind of related to that as it relates to our world is so we do a lot in art and music and you know a lot of our heart is to use that platform to share the gospel because i believe we believe that art and music is one of the most powerful ways to convey truth to culture Mm -hmm. and i think if you look at jesus he was a, a brilliant artist in his parables and how surprising and creative and the twists and turns but i think a mistake we may have made in the past is that when we're speaking to a lot of christian artists we were assuming too much about their inner faith, about the substance of their faith. Yeah, maybe so. And so we were saying, preach the gospel, preach the gospel, use your platform. And I think a lot of our audience were thinking in their heads, I'm not so sure I'm ready to give everything to Jesus as a person, let alone use this precious thing I love in a way that would, you know, Mm -hmm. tell people about him. And so I, the way that relates to me, for me, in a sense to this, is that how much of this is about the need for personal revival mm-hmm. in the church itself, that we're, we're saying to people, it's about Jesus first, Jesus first, Jesus first, not this party, that party, this right. policy, that policy. Do you think in some senses for them, that is kind of their savior, even if they're showing up on Sunday and even if they're calling themselves a Christian in the, in the census? Do you think that that's part of it? Is that a need for personal revival yeah. first? No, I, I think you're exactly right. Let me, this is how I, this is my version of what I believe you're saying. Since the Reformation, we have slowly reduced Jesus to a forgiver of sins, a ticket to heaven, yes. a savior. And when the world falls apart, I know gentle Jesus will be there for me. You find none of that in first century Christianity. I say none of that. That is not the emphasis in first century Christianity. And the the proof of this is, um, you know, we all kind of know the story that followers of Jesus were first called Christians in Antioch. The truth is the term Christian was a 100% political term. Christian didn't stand in contrast to a Marsian or a Zeusian or a Jupiterian. There weren't even such things. It stood in contrast to being a Herodian or a Caesarian Mm. or later on a Neroian. It was 100% Latin political language. And what the non-believers in Antioch recognized about these strange people was that they were devoted not to a new religious system. The whole concept of religion didn't even exist the way we think about it in the first century. They recognized these men and women had dedicated themselves to a new king. 
It was pure. It was a political statement. And of course, as we know, it was a slur to be called a Christian. It was a slur. It's like, oh, but they were recognized. And this is what I think the three of us love about this. They were accused. This was an accusation. Oh, you are a partisan of a different king. So eventually, as we all know, being a Christian became um, synonymous with being anti-Roman, not anti-Jupiter or anti-Mars. You never hear about that. Mm. They, those first century non-believers and believers realized this is not about worship. This is about obedience because in first century Rome, hey, worship the gods. You can worship any gods you want, but you obey Rome. This strange group of people came along and said, you know what? This isn't about worship. This is about obedience. We are members of a different party. We have lost that. We have lost that in in modern American Christianity, not all over the world necessarily, as you guys know, but in this country. So, yes, there is a need for revival, but it's a very specific call for revival. It's not asking God to do something new. God does not need to do anything new. We have all the information and all the tools we need. We need to elevate the kingship of Jesus, which elevates the lordship of Jesus, which every time, and you guys know this, every time somebody says Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, it is a declaration of kingship. Christ, which that term probably shouldn't be in our New Testaments, but that's the English New Testaments, another story for another day, because it was God's anointed one, God's Messiah, or to put it in vernacular, we understand Jesus was God's final king. So when we dumb Jesus down to Savior and shows up for me and comforter and all those roles that he willingly played in his earthly ministry, we miss the point. The moment, to your point, the moment we elevate Jesus as king of our lives, then he becomes king of my mouth. He becomes king of my behavior. Mm. And most importantly, maybe we can talk about this. Jesus becomes king of my reactions. You can tell a lot about a person by their actions, but we all know how to play the game and be nice. But you know most about a person by their reactions. And the reactions of evangelical Mm. Christians in America in the last two years has been embarrassing, as, as you know. So, yes, I think you're exactly right. But I don't think revival in the sense of, oh, God, send us revival. I think God's going, I sent you my son. (laughs) Okay, I became flesh and dwelt among you. I sent you my spirit. I I gave you a three-year walking, talking illustration. The apostle Paul says, you know, everything before Jesus was a shadow. But in Christ, when he says Christ, he says Messiah, King. In Christ, the King is the reality. So, you know, Philip says, show us the Father. Jesus says, this is as good as it gets. Just, you're not going to get any closer. Follow me. So we've got the tools. we got the know-how. We've got the marching orders. We just need to get back to it. Yep, yep. And, and I think part of it is that, that I see a lot, because what's happening in culture, in American culture, we feel the decline of the influence of the church, Right. Like it's the rise of the religious, the unaffiliated, the sexual ethics is not in line with the Bible. There, Our influence in culture is declining and there's moral decay that comes with that, all sorts of stuff. But it's almost like in order to to reverse that or to come against that, yep. we, we're looking for political answers or or we somehow make saving the country or the the, the, the survival of the American you know way of right. life as synonymous with the survival of Christianity when they're really not at all connected, right? So speak to that for a second. Yeah, and when you connect them, you diminish the significance of the ministry of Jesus. I mean, the the Apostle Paul, once again, he's got three, he's being opposed from three sides. He's got the temples against him, 
Rome's against him. The, every pagan community he goes into is against him. They all want to co-opt him. And he's like, nope, I, I'm none of that. I'm something completely different. Same with Jesus. So yeah, we, we can't allow ourselves to be co-opted. And this is so important. Even for good ends. I mean, I, I love yeah. our country. Oh my yeah. goodness, I love our country. I, yep. I, yep. I'm so committed. To, I love our country. But the best thing that could happen for our country is for Christians to live and act, not believe, but to live and act like Christians. It would create a revival of morality, a revival in our culture, yep. a revival of um, dignity for all. All those things that you know both sides give lip service to. I mean, we know this. Jesus set, you know, Jesus kind of set things in motion for the dignity of women, the oppressed, the poor, the slave. I mean, you know, before Jesus, I mean, pagan culture, none of that was self-evident. What's self-evident right, to us right. is 100% because yep. of Jesus. So it's not a matter of, you know, God versus nation. It's a matter of, well, the way I say it is, is it one nation under God? I mean, that's what we say every time we say the pledge, or is it one God under nation? And so every time we pledge allegiance to the flag, we're making that interesting statement. I love my country. I love my flag under God. So living that out and in, and, and again, and I'll stop in our fear of losing religious liberty and our fear of losing our morality, we have opted for the tools of the kingdoms of this world to somehow further mm. the purposes of God. It never, ever works. You get the worst of both. You don't get the best of either. And, yeah. and history has borne this out over again. I had a front row seat for the moral majority movement way back. I watched what happened. I'm just telling you, it doesn't work because it's not the pattern Jesus left us. No, it's not the subversive, like counter, like Jesus laid, he, he, he laid himself down. He denied the power, but that is like you said, it transformed yes. pagan culture. It transformed, it completely transformed culture, which is what we want. But but we're looking to go through power. We're looking to go through top down. And it's just, it's not the answer. It's, it's not the answer. And the other thing too, it leaves Christians, it leaves Christians in this contest where there's, there's you know, there's a winner and a loser, winner and a loser. Jesus was so clear about this. He said, you are to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, which means, if someone considers you their enemy, you do not have to return the favor just because they consider you. As soon as you consider them their enemy because they consider you, you know, they, you consider them their enemy because that you, they consider you their enemy. Well, in that moment, you're playing their game, game over. And Jesus yep. said, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life ransom for many, and to give his life for his enemies. And he says, follow me. And it's not intuitive. Yep. It's not American. It's not manly. But if we're going to call ourselves Christians and follow Jesus, it is the way of Jesus. And to your point, Aaron, it changed the world. Yeah. Let me just speak real quick there to that point of the enemy, because to me, that's the such the heart of it. The way that I see so many of my Christian brothers and sisters talk about them. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, yeah. and, and the way they talk about, you know, generally it's those liberals and this and that, that the, the, the way they talk about, there's no love there. And a lot of it is because they're frankly isolated, not actually engaging. So I, I was thinking about this. We live in Minneapolis. And so 2020 was a big year for the world. But for us, we were in the center yeah. of it in a lot of ways. Right. And I remember going down to the protest buildings still on fire to just see what's going on. And I see thousands and thousands of kids that are looking for a human answer to a sin problem. And then we're having these conversations. And I remember at one point, 
point, I had a conversation with a, a, a woman and she described herself as a revolutionary Marxist. And I remember thinking like, this woman personifies the enemy for many Christians. And, and I, I just started to talk to her and to ask her, like, how did she get to that perspective? And what I found is like, this is a woman that believes that the world is not as it ought to be. And as a Christian, I can say, yeah, I, I can actually see the humanity in her, even mm-hmm. if the way mm-hmm. she's played that out gets twisted or confused. But I can see that I can actually affirm and love her to a degree that I right. see her. And then, you know, in her in that context, I was like, you know, obviously, like the problem is I agree the world's broken. But it, the, when you look at history, no political system seems to fix the problem. You know, what is the ultimate? We talk about sin. We could talk about the corruption of the heart. But I think the problem is we've made people the enemy and our love for them is just gone as a result of it. And therefore, our ability to reach them is gone as well. Well, if I could just comment on what you just described, because, um, Aaron, you just modeled. I mean, that illustration is the way forward. And here's here's how I talk about it. Like Jesus, we should lead with our values, not our beliefs. She believes in the tenets of Marxism. You responded with a value. You ask her, how did you get there? Which says, you know what? You're a logical, smart person. How did you get there? And then you found common ground. You both agree the world needs to be a better place and the world is broken. That's a value. That's where you meet on values. So as Christians, if we would just take our cues from Jesus, regardless of what we believe and regardless of how different what we believe is from what other people believe, you lead with values because that's where you find common ground. That's where you find shared experience. And then the conversation begins. So that's the perfect model. But as long as I'm leading with I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Well, then it's just it's just belief wars and culture wars. And again, follow Jesus through the Gospels. He did not do that. The only time he got close to that is when he's dealing with the Pharisees Pharisees who kept leading with their distorted values based on their distorted view of the Torah. But when it came to the common person, I mean, the woman at the well, it's all about, I'm going to find common ground with you around values, and then I'm going to lead you in a different direction. So we should be so good at this. But the moment we step back into win, lose, win, lose, win, lose, we've already lost. And that's why I named the book, Not In It, To Win It. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I keep coming back to this idea, though, that we really we need to really have a revelation of who Jesus is, because consistently, even among his earliest followers, they continue to fail to see who he really was and what he was there to do, which is why they continue to say, when are you going to take over? When are you going to become the king that we think you're going to be? Yeah. When are we going to win? Right. When are we going to win? That's their question. Yeah. They're going to Jerusalem to win. He's going to Jerusalem to die. Yeah, exactly. And, and everything that you're saying, I think, makes sense when you when you understand and and have had a surrender to the person of Jesus, because then the fear goes away. Because now, you know what? My hope is not in a certain system and its continuation or a party and it's being sustained. My life and value doesn't come from being right. It doesn't come from having all the answers. It comes from being a son of God. Also, I have the proper humility and perspective because I recognize I am a debtor who yep. has been forgiven an incredible amount of debt. So how dare I view my brothers and sisters as as anything but the same? Everything to me starts with that that revelation of who Jesus is. So it properly aligns my heart mm-hmm. to have a confidence and a humility, which seems like a paradox. But I think when you really know Jesus, you have both because it's like, I am loved and imperfect and so is everyone around me, and that's cool. And so I can just go out there and work this out in love. 
and not as something or someone who's feverishly defending or holding on to a, a failing, falling system, as opposed to someone that says, look, God can use anything, but he's Lord and he's in charge. And I'm here to just love people and tell them the truth. So I really think it starts with that. Well, absolutely. And it, again, it it really just comes back to, are we going to follow Jesus? Yeah. And when I hear, well, yeah. Andy, that doesn't work. I'm like, okay, I'll give you that. Let's assume it doesn't work. I think you're wrong, but let's assume you're right. It doesn't work. Well, then at least acknowledge you're not going to follow Jesus because right. he does not give right. us any wiggle room on this. None. Just decide, you know what? Following Jesus isn't going to save America, so I'm no longer a Jesus follower. That's honest. But don't try to drape your kingdoms of this world approach with scripture, and please don't try to put Jesus' name on it. Judas tried to manipulate Jesus for his own ends. That did not end well. It never ends well, either nationally, corporately, or individually. So, um, and again, as you you mentioned earlier, um, Aaron, once upon a time, there was none of this. Once upon a time, it was just pagan on pagan. And we live in a world where we are benefiting from the leftover, the shadow, the remains of Big a time. Christian culture infused with Christian values. And if we really want to maintain our freedom, we should follow Jesus, not try to maintain our freedom. Right. And, and to that point, and I, I had this written down in a different way, it, it's not as though the Jesus way is apathetic or or just removed it's, it's the only way things actually change, right? I have written down that, that to do things Jesus' way, it's not political, but it's no less radical. Like, Jesus has a more radical, more fruitful, more impactful version of life for you than, than, than politics. And I think that's kind of the dichotomy people feel, is that, mm-hmm. well, I either got to be hyper-political or I got to be politically apathetic. No. When I'm sitting here going, I'm not apathetic about anything. I just want to use my life in a way that actually makes a difference. And, right. and Jesus models for us a way to make a difference. It just doesn't look like the world. And I think that's what your book is trying well, to say. Well, the, the other thing, too, that we we know this is no matter my opinion doesn't matter. What matters is my vote. I mean, we have the we have this extraordinary opportunity to keep our mouths shut or to leverage our words in such a way to honor Jesus. And then I get to walk into a private place and cast my vote. And my vote is what matters in our country, not my opinion. So we actually have the ultimate opportunity to influence with a a Christ-like posture and Christ-like response. And we get to vote our law of Christ-informed conscience. And that's what I tell our churches all the time. Hey, don't ever miss an opportunity to vote. What an extraordinary opportunity we have. You just go in there and you vote your Christ-informed conscience. And I say, look, we're not always going to agree on what's best for people, but here's what we agree on. What's best for people is what's best. Because every single person, wherever eyeball to eyeball with, was made in the image of God for God to love the whole world. So what's best for people is best. We can disagree on what's best for people. And there's always going to be disagreement. But disunity, Hmm. that's a decision. That's a choice. Let's not make that choice. I I have friends in my mind right now who, you know, we, we have friendly debates all the time, who are much more politically inclined, you know, particularly with you know, let's say, be clear, a more conservative political perspective and, and their their arguments right. will be, you know, I, I might have not liked the guy, but the particular policies were important. And so the question is, is there, the argument is like, it's like, let's be clear, abortion. Like, isn't that a policy worth fighting and winning for? Like, how do you handle that? Like, how would you respond to that? Mm-hmm. Me? Well, there, there are plenty of Democrats who are pro-life. Mm. 
I mean, and unfortunately, and, and you know, we could talk all day about this. Everything gets in, in the media, and I'm not anti-media, but in media, in culture, everything gets hyper, you know, politicized and marginal. Everything goes to the corners. But in reality, the average person, they couldn't tell you the five primary planks of the Republican Party or the Dem. They don't. They don't. We don't think in those terms. We just think in terms of real life, meet in the middle, get along, raise my kids, get my kids yeah. through school, yeah. you know, yeah. feed my family, try to say, I mean, most of us are, we have so much in common, you know, in politics in the United States, it's all about fear. Mm. And it's, it's such mm. a crazy game. And, and Christians should be smarter than this. And the game goes like this. Our side yeah. is losing, yeah. no, no matter which side you're on. Our side is losing. If we lose, the world's going to come to an end. So vote for me and send me your money so we won't lose. And then what does the other side say? No, no, no. Our side is losing. So the, the goal is to never appear to be winning. And then at the last minute, you pull it out and you win. But you can't ever acknowledge you're winning. You have to always be the underdog. You always want. So, I mean, this is as old as time. Now, I just think the American public, for the most part, is onto this, but Christians should really be onto it. We should refuse to enter in to the mind-numbing, fear-mongering, the world's going to come to an end. We should follow Jesus and then vote our law of Christ and form consciences, because at the end of the day, it's our vote that matters. And, and here's one of the things I talk about in the book, and this is the most difficult thing of all, when if whatever party you're kind of surrounded with, with family or friends, the people you work with, and you generally agree with that party, but there's like the one issue, like for a Democrat who's, you know, I'm, I'm you know, this person's a Democrat, but you know what, they're pro-life. The fear of mm, breaking yep. with the ranks because of the ostracism and because it's all or nothing, right? It's like, oh, well, if you're, well, then you're not one of us. Well, you know what? Christians, we don't need to play by those rules. We we can have a foot in both political camps because our ultimate yeah. allegiance yeah. isn't to either. It's to Christ, our yeah. king, which is not popular. But, hey, it's the messy middle where problems are actually solved. And when we lead with our values, as you so well illustrated a minute ago, Aaron, when you lead with values, conversations can be had. Progress can be made. We may never agree on what's best for people, but we agree what's best for people. Yeah is what's best. And the reason we agree and the reason we believe what's best for people is what's best is not because of anything other than the fact that Jesus elevated the dignity of every individual. At least our love for mankind yeah. is anchored to something. It doesn't just sit out there in some evolutionary process that got us here that doesn't that's not really anchored to anything. So, yeah, and I think something Aaron touched on and I think you've alluded to as well is people are not so dissimilar from you as you mm -hmm. might think. No. And I think, you know, it's so weird. We let two weeks or a month every four years become kind of our moment of activism. I find that a bit fraudulent too, if I'm honest, that's quite cynical, but it's like your vote matters. It does, but your political activism for a month every four years isn't changing the world. I mean, right. even if you're really interested in politics, how about maintain your interest continually? But anyway, yeah. people are not that different from you. Nope. Even those that you are absolutely just you know, castigating online. They're, they're, they're people that, that care about their families. They, they, they want to be happy. They, same values. The same, values. same values. And I think if we would put as much energy and effort into our, our political passions, into just breaking the isolation that is so common in culture for various reasons and just getting to know people, I think as Aaron said, and, and I have lots of examples too, man, you, you get behind, you get to the question behind the question 
And people, they're just, they just want to know what the point of their life is. They just want to matter. They just want to be valued. Mm -hmm. And I think you discover that most people, all of this, the the thin veneer of, of political ideas is mostly just covering some very basic humanity that we should be able to see and connect with and love. Uh, and, and, and God works from the inside out, right? And so if there are these things that need to go and need to change, like abortion, which we all agree is a terrible evil, it, you're, I don't think you're going to change that from the outside in. I think that's going to have to come from a, a reformation of the heart, which starts when followers of Jesus are willing to break the isolation like Jesus did, again, as we keep saying, and see people and love them and then allow the Holy Spirit to do that work, to expose that evil and bring about the change. Yep, but that is not quick and it is not direct. It is not efficient. It's not American and you can't win. And so it's such an easy worldview and it's such an easy posture to abandon. But again, that's why we have to wake up every day and say, Heavenly Father, here are my hands, here are my resources, here's my eyes, my ears, my mind, my life. I help me to act right and to react right. And when I don't to admit it immediately, because all day long, I'm going to be in a world that's built around the kingdoms of this world. And you've called me to live a different kind of life. And and that includes to the people that are hyper political and are saying all the wrong things on social media, right? Because it's very easy for a guy like me to become self-righteous and do the very thing I'm accusing other people of doing and being where I'm like, how could you? How could you be so blind and wear that hat and yeah. act that way? And then I become as unloving and cold to people that just like the people they're criticizing are often afraid and, you know, concerned for their families. There mm-hmm. are genuine motives often underneath those outwork, you know, the outward things that, that are happening. And so that includes to guys like me who might be tempted to be arrogant in my criticism of those that that are more maybe hyper-political or on that end of the spectrum. And, you know, one thing to speak into that, um, because, yeah, we are all um, set up for self-righteousness. And, and, you know, self-righteousness is an interesting thing because we can be right and we can argue our point without being self-righteous. And the line, I think, is the moment I begin to create an identity around a view. Sure then I automatically create an identity around you and your view. So now we're not talking about what is right. Now we're talking about who is right. And the moment I so I carry my views on everything so closely mm. that they're my identity, mm. I become self-righteous because we're not talking about issues anymore. We're talking about I'm right and, and you're wrong as opposed to we don't see eye to eye. So that that differentiation as Christians should be easy for us because we have, we've been called to a different identity, which gives us the freedom to talk about just about anything um, with anybody. And again, find enough common ground to move the ball down the That's field, good. make the world better. Yeah, we're, um, we're producing some content called Spiritual Conversations for the Non-Religious. And, and one of the ideas there is, is exactly that, where basically we need to start at a foundational level where we're not assuming certain things. And, and the, idea, the big idea is we don't have to convince people that we're right. We can, we can encourage them to seek the truth. 
and do that together. And it's a very different posture and it's a very different, it's, those are two very different things. And I think pursuing mm -hmm. the truth together yeah. rather than me convince you I'm right is a much more uh, engaging approach to people today. It, it gives more honor to someone else. Um, and it, and, and it also walks you with the journey with them. So I don't know, I feel so much of our approach with people, we need to take a different approach rather than the, let me show you why I'm right, which immediately creates a defensive yeah. posture. I can find a place of affirming and connecting and then pursuing the truth together. It's a different approach. So, well, and again, to the people on either side who are so afraid of the people on the other side, what you just said is so important. If you really want to influence those people. Now, if you just love the sport of criticizing people and painting broad strokes and breast strokes and, you know, demonizing whole groups, hey, knock yourself out, but please don't call yourself a Christian. But if you really do want yes. to influence them, well, we know what paves the way to influence and it's none exactly. of that. You, you can't criticize me and influence me at the same time. You can't call me a name and accuse me of things and influence me at the same time. So it's not love. Let's not kid ourselves. It's, you know, it's, it's the game. Now, here's some good news. And I just want to make sure we don't miss this because this is such a big deal. I'm, I'm convinced in my limited experience that most men and women in politics would agree with almost everything mm. we have said but they are in the middle blocking and tackling, trying to get things right. It's the loud people on the fringes because, you know, this isn't new. You, the more to the edge you go, the more mm -hmm. money you raise and the quicker yep. you raise it and the more bombastic you are with your language, the more social media you get and the more attention you get. Um, I, I'm a journalism major. I went to Georgia State University, majored in journalism. You know, rule number one is nobody cares. Nobody cares how many planes landed safely. Nobody cares. They want to know about the one that didn't. Bad news sells, extreme news sells, and gets attention. So oh, you, you can't raise much money in the middle. You're not going to you know, gain a lot of fans and followers um, and likes in the middle. Um, there's not enough tension in the middle to get anybody's attention, but that's where the problems are solved. And most of, fortunately, I'm, I'm convinced, fortunately, most of the men and women who step into the political realm at the state level and at the national level, I believe they're far more in the middle, working with each other, going to dinner with each other at night, friends, you know, I mean, there's way more of that. But that's never going to be headline news because how, what's mm. more boring than we're getting along, right? So I just want to encourage the, the rest yeah. of the nation. It's not as bad to, to your point a minute ago, Ben. You said, you know, we steering these, which one of you said, you know, during a couple of months, suddenly we're all stirred up. But for the most part, these are incredible men and women. Most, I mean, just about every person I've met, state level, national level, is religious, is a Christian um, trying to get this right. So that's why it continues to work, even though every four years it looks yeah. like the world's going to fall apart and, you know, the Republicans yep. are going to take us one way that it, you know, at the end of the day, people are the same, which means more than really anyone else in the world, Americans have, we really have no reason to actually yes. be afraid. And this is why, as you guys know, because of what you do, People all over the world look at American politics and listen to the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and they're thinking, no, you need to come over here, spend a month with us. We'll show you where the sky is not only falling, it fell, and we're trying to get it back yeah. where it belongs. So we have so much to be grateful for. Um, we are so entitled, 
And we, I mean, Jesus over and over said, fear not, fear not, fear not. We really, as a nation, don't have anything to fear when you think about what else is going on around the world. So again, we, we of all people have no reason not to follow Jesus and to follow Jesus yep. into the realm. And then ultimately the we have no fear because yeah. our hope is in Jesus and his kingdom. Even if this yeah. all falls apart, yeah. that remains. That's our rock. Yeah. I tell our I tell our folks all the time, hey, when your child's sick, you don't mm-hmm. call your congressman. When your child is sick, you don't <laughs> write a letter to you in the state capitol. I mean, and when you die, you're not going to go to Washington, D.C. So we we know at the end of the day, when it comes down to what's Hopefully most not. important, we all look up. We don't look yeah. over. So let's just let's just it's live good. that way. It's really good. Yeah. And it gives us again, as I said, I think it gives us ability to have confidence and humility and grace, even for the politicians. Because as you said, many of them are very well-meaning people doing an incredibly hard job. Very hard job. Incredibly hard. Pastors and politicians, two jobs I I need a lot of grace and mercy for. So thank you. And and again, and we may not have time for this, but the next generation, they value inclusion and there are wrong sides of that. But if what they see from a Christian world is division and us versus them and in and out, mm-hmm. good luck. Good luck reaching them. Yes, there are, are, are you know things that we got to talk about and, and rights and wrongs and all that. But man, like you said, Christians should have all of the mechanism, all of the, uh, the resilience and the, the worldview, rather, to be able to yeah. say we all matter. Right. We're all important. And yeah, we, we got to figure stuff out. But who's not part of a family? Like, do, do we not have like constant reference for how hard it is to live with people and recognize the difference, yep. but still love? Right. So, so yeah, we, if for the sake of ourselves and the church, but also for the sake of our witness, man, we got to get this right. So I, I thank you for writing this book. Uh, it's not out yet, but it's going to be out soon. Let me just throw it up here. Uh, not in it to win it. So May 10th is when you can get it, but you can pre-order it now from what I understand. So please do that. Um, Andy, thank you. This has been, yeah. Thank it's you. been what I want it to be, which oh, is a good, conversation good. <laughs> that happens to be recorded. You, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for being willing to do this with us. It's a, it's a huge yes. privilege. Well, thanks for the opportunity and keep thanks, doing Andy. what you're doing. What you're Appreciate doing it. is so very important. So thank oh, you guys. It's our privilege. All right. I'm going to hit this little outro video. If you want to just stick around for 20 seconds so we can say goodbye to you off air, so to speak, we'll do that. And again, Andy, thank you so much for being part of this podcast. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Provoke and Inspire podcast. If you enjoy this content, consider leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes. Got questions for the guys? Send them to provokeandinspire at steiger.org. Thanks for listening.